This is Appalachian Vibes from WNCW. I'm your host, Amanda Baki. Appalachian Vibes is a show dedicated to challenging the expectations and celebrating the diversity of music, literature, and art created in and around the Appalachian region. It's an honor to introduce my guest this week. He was a member of the famous Bluegrass Alliance during the late 70s and 80s with the likes of Sam Bush, Tony Rice, and Vince Gill. He was awarded the North Carolina Heritage Award in 2018, a few short years after Doc Watson. My guest is none other than the highly esteemed, influential multi-genre mandolin player, Tony Williamson. We dive into Tony's early life and the idea of sustainability in music and in life. That's the next hour on Appalachian Vibes from WNCW. Can you show me around your your room that you're sitting in? Where are you? Uh, this is my shop. Uh, where I it's called uh, my my business is called Mandolin Central, and I specialize in uh, uh, finding old mandolins and restoring them and finding them new homes. So uh, right uh, right behind me, let's see. We've got uh, these. These are mostly about a hundred years old. There's a uh, <laughs> there's a mando bass, a bass mandolin, and uh, cool. there's some old Italian mandolins. That the the one with the funny horns is from 1897. Oh my gosh! And then there's a uh, we got some real nice Gibsons. And of course, a, a little Martin guitar. So this this is where I I come every morning. I practice. I uh, work on instruments. I talk to people about sending them instruments. And of course, we we uh, plan for to play performances too. So uh, which you got to hear on uh, Saturday. Yes. And you guys were absolutely awesome. I think everybody is um, very endeared to to your legacy and your band. And um, there's just such great energy between everybody and even your manager. He's a character. (laughs) Is he not? (laughs) He's great. He's been with you well, since the very beginning. It's, it's a great team. Yeah, yeah. Since uh, it, it, in the early days, he actually played in the band, played guitar, and uh, and but he's just got a head head for management, you know, for organizing, talking to people, uh, and you know, I've. I, I mean, I've I've learned to deal with a lot of things in business, but there's a lot of things about the music business that I didn't um, I didn't resonate with. Um, so I, I love to just play my music, and you know, if it were up for me, I would just I would play for free everywhere, every night for anybody. <laughs> but you know, you can't really pay the bills that way. So it's good to have a manager. But it, it's it's a team, the, the wonderful, wonderful musicians that uh, I surround myself with, that we've all been together for, you know, 
many, many years. I wonder what the um, bluegrass music scene is, music industry is like. Is it as cutthroat as uh, as like L.A. or Nashville? Or is it in Nashville? Where would you consider the central place for the bluegrass industry? Well, you, you know, it's it's been an evolution uh, in the early days when I first started getting into this, uh, when I was a kid in the late 60s and early 70s, the bluegrass was very different from most of the commercial musics, you know, like country music and rock. And, uh, and uh, it, it was more like you organized uh, to play performances one by one with like schoolhouses, uh, barn dance, um, you know, fillers convention and you sort of just uh, in fact there was a time when you could like just show up in town and put up a few flowers flyers you know advertisement and say you're going to be in the ball field that night and uh and people would come out but it's very different now it's um it's 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 taken a lot of the nashville model and uh and gone with that so there's there's a lot of uh a lot of bands that are really making good livings now. I mean, you, you know, making and filling up big stadiums. And I think all that's great. It's uh, it's really fascinating how it's how, how it's been a transition toward more commercial aspects of the music. And is it cutthroat? It it depends. It can be. And uh, and I ran into some of that early on when uh, when I first went out to. Uh, play professionally in various bands. I just just kind of got got tired of the pecking order, the, you know, the 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 egos. And 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 so, you know, I just retreated back to my little log cabin and I I do things the old old-fashioned way. <laughs> Tell me about where you were born and how you were introduced to music. Well I was Born in Randolph County, North Carolina. It's exactly in the very center of North Carolina. And uh, my dad played music. My grandfather played music. My grandfather made his own instruments. Uh, he had a banjo and a fiddle. My dad kind of preferred the, uh, the banjo. Uh, my brother came along and we were quite young. I think it was my brother's fifth birthday that my dad brought home a mandolin, first one I'd ever seen. It was really, really cheap, you know, mandolin made in the 1930s. And he brought it home and gave it to my brother for his fifth birthday. And I was fascinated with the mandolin. And I, 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 I guess I must have been a little forward and maybe grabbed it out of his hands. And he told me not to touch his mandolin. I could play that thing in no time. Every time he turned his back, I would grab it. And it wasn't long before I could play, you know, some some pretty basic tunes enough to play along with my dad and grandfather and, and, and their friends. And so my dad, you know, wisely bought my brother a guitar. Oh, my gosh. So that was just meant for you. Is uh, Gary your older brother? Yeah. Yeah. Gary was was five and I was four at the time. So that's uh, that's how long I've been playing. And, and that's, that's been a few years. 
Tell me about your childhood growing up in, in that area and with your, your family. And they were also woodworkers, right? They, um, you said your grandfather created his own instruments. I don't consider myself a luthier, although I, I do work on, on doing repairs and things like that, restoration type things on instruments. I have built one mandolin and it came out very well, but I sort of leave that to the guys who really are in the rhythm to do that kind of work. Uh, my grandfather was a furniture maker. He, uh, he worked for uh, Ramsour Furniture for his whole career, over 60 years there. And uh, he, he was a brilliant furniture maker. In fact, I, I sleep in a bed that he made. And, uh, and our whole house is filled with things that my grandfather and father and I made. And I built my own uh, log cabin. Well, it's, I, I actually restored a couple of old tobacco barns and made them into a cabin. And that's where I live now. Um, so I'm more of a restoration guy. I, I, I fix things that already are in existence and have their own, their, 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 their own energy, you know, and, and rather than trying to create things from fresh. It sounds like uh, you and your family's heritage is to kind of be self-sustaining. Is that where that kind of came from, from your grandfather and your father? It goes way back in, in, in our family. Our, uh, uh, my uh, ancestors came to this very area where we live uh, in around 1740, which is pretty early for this far inland in North Carolina. And I think it's been our family history has been one of uh, living on the land and cherishing the land and and really being grateful for what the land and our environment gives us without asking too much from the outside world. And I think that's the heritage that I got. And I think that's why I like to fix things rather than make things from, from new, you know, rather than cutting down a tree, I'd rather find an old plank that I can uh, sand down and reuse. I'd love to hear more about when you and your brother first started playing together. So he was five and you were four. Uh, how, what time did he start playing guitar? Oh, he was, yeah, he was playing pretty early on too. I, I have to say uh, that we had instruments in our hands that early at the age of five and four. I'm not saying what we were doing with them could really be called music, <laughs> but every Friday night, my dad you know, who, who they, they all worked in mills, you know, woodworkers that worked in mills. And he invited all his friends who played music over to our house every Friday night. And at the end of the work week, you know, uh, they're all there uh, with their guitars and banjos and fiddles and, and, uh, and, and they're playing music and singing a joyful song. And rather than sending us off to bed and having us pout, what my dad would do is he would put instruments in our hands and have us sit off in the corner and so we're strumming away and it really didn't they didn't it didn't they didn't mind that they they were fine with, with that you know just we were strumming away in the background and sometimes we would find the right chord and be playing along so so we really learned to play like that i, I never really had a 
had a situation where I sat in front of a musician, an accomplished musician, and that person would say, put your fingers here, uh, strum like this. I never had any of that. It was sort of like I watched and then I tried and, you know, sort of, uh, 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 and then, then when it works, I, I get this positive reinforcement because I get a smile from somebody, you know. I, I remember one time that they had, somebody had heard a song on the radio and, uh, and they were trying to figure out, you know, they had the lyric, but they were trying to figure out the chords. So uh, they, were, they were strumming along and couldn't figure out which chord to go to. And one of them said, it sounds like he's got it and pointed to my brother. Uh, what chords are you using? And my brother said, C. And they said, yeah, yeah, C, but what else? No, just C. <laughs> That's great. The whole, the whole song is in C. <laughs> I, I think there, there was more to it than that, but I, <laughs> I think that it really didn't matter. But, you, you know, it's, it's like we, we kind of showed promise, you know. Uh, you know, I think music... Uh, uh, Bill Monroe once said that the music is in the air all around us. A musician is a person who takes it out of the air and puts it in a place where everybody can hear it. And and I think that's a, a way I look at it too. And, and not everyone has that gift to be able to interpret the sounds.
That's Tony Williamson from the Williamson Brothers on Appalachian Vibes from WNCW. Stay tuned to learn how Tony embarks on his own journey, apart from his brother and his father's wishes, so he could make a living in music. That's up next on Appalachian Vibes from WNCW. This may not sound modest or humble or anything, but uh, we were gifted. And so my dad realized that. And so, uh, again, rather than taking us to get music lessons, which where we lived, there really wasn't a lot of options in that regard. What he would do is he would take us to hear musicians when they came through nearby towns to play and and great musicians, you know, for the banjo he would seek out Earl Scruggs. So whenever Flatt and Scruggs came anywhere near us, we would go uh, hear Flatt and Scruggs. And for the mandolin, it was Bill Monroe. So I was about nine years old when my dad took me to see Bill Monroe. And it was at a little schoolhouse kind of uh, thing. He was there with the Bluegrass Boys and he was there in his suit and his hat and his mandolin. And he, and he, and he has such an incredible presence everybody in that room the minute he walked on stage everybody in that room were focused on him his musicians the audience the mc everybody it just drew attention just by his very presence and then he would pull that mandolin up through the microphone and play it oh my god i just i couldn't believe myself i couldn't believe sounds like that could come out of that little instrument i had one at home but it didn't sound like that and and wow i was just i i at that point I became a mandolin fanatic. I had to have the mandolin in my hands every waking moment. And every time Bill Monroe came anywhere near us, I would beg my dad to go go uh, see him. And after after a while, I got brave enough to go back and meet him. And he was great. He, you know, I was a kid, maybe 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there. And he would take me back to the dressing room and, uh, and listen to me play the mandolin and he would play the mandolin and he would let me stand quietly and listen to his band as they warmed up to get ready to go to stage. And I just can't tell you the impression that that made on me. It was just like, this is so amazing to hear this right here. No microphones, no, no anything, but just the pure music coming out of their heart right into my soul. And I'm, I, I just, whoa, it, it, uh, my life changed forever. <laughs> Were you, in essence, Bill Monroe's protege? I I was fortunate enough to, like I say, whenever he came close by. I mean, I never went and lived at the farm with him. And, uh, you know, a lot of people did. I mean, uh, there, there are stories of people who just dropped everything uh, and went and worked on his farm just to be that close with him. No, I, I was not that. I but I did, I was close enough to him to where he recognized me and he would uh, kind of accept me into his sphere whenever, whenever he came around. See, at, at that point, I didn't, I didn't, I was a kid. I didn't have a driver's license. So I was really dependent on when my dad could, or my uncle could take me to see him. So, uh, so it, it was not like, I would not consider myself 
a a protege so much as a real avid fan and a mentee. I guess that's a word. Yeah, yeah. He, 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 he was, was your mentor. mentor. Was, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. Whenever, at that point, there was so much that uh, I learned from him, and I, I soaked it up really, really fast, and started incorporating it into the band that I was forming with my brother. We uh, we formed a band with some some more uh, high school kids uh, in our neighborhood. And, and, and we got pretty darn good and boy, we could play fast too. We, uh, we did our first recording in 1969 for, uh, a, a national publication called the Follette Music Company. And that's also the year that we went up to the big festival in Union Grove, North Carolina, and we came home with trophies. And you guys were in high school. That's when you first started performing with your brother? Yeah. Wow. So uh, probably even more like middle school. Yeah. Middle school? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, we were playing fiddlers conventions, competing for prizes. Um, I think my first prize was probably about 1962. I was probably uh nine years old. I got uh second second place mandolin at a Fiddler's Convention. It was the, the it was $2 50 in an envelope sealed. And I still have that envelope sealed. I never opened it. I still have that money. At the time that that $2.50 came to me, that could have filled the gas tank. Now you couldn't fill up your lawnmower with it. <laughs> Your sweet love die. No. 
My brother and I were inseparable, uh, you know, except for school. Uh, we played music together all the time. That's what we did. And, uh, and every weekend we would go. And, and by then we had uh, had some, you know, had, 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 had outlets of people wanting to hear us play. We, we were a regular at the State Fair in North Carolina. Um, and so almost every weekend from March through September, we had somewhere to go play in North Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, or South Carolina. And really, it, it was a great time. And we were also writing our own music and recording albums, uh, you know, and uh, it, it all changed. Uh, again, you know, I do not come from a wealthy family, but my brother got a scholarship to the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. and he took that very seriously and uh, and quit the band to focus on his studies. And the next year, I got the same scholarship. So I went to Carolina, too, and I formed another band while I was in college. And, you know, with the scholarship and everything, and, you know, now we had gigs every weekend. So, so I really had a lot of a lot of positive influence, not to mention money, you know, coming in during my college years. But then after college, my brother decided that he wanted to have a, uh, and, and part, part of this was the influence of my family. My dad really loved music, but he also believed that music was not a vocation for mm -hmm. an honorable person. He right. felt that you get a job, you work, you save your money, you play music for fun on the weekend. Mm -hmm. And and I had plans, my plans were different from that. <laughs> and he took another scholarship and went to Stanford to work on a PhD in mathematics, okay. specifically statistics. And I, after college, I went off to play music with a band called the Bluegrass Alliance. And there we kind of parted ways for quite quite a long time. And I uh, I, I played as a professional sideman in a lot of different bands. And that's when I really got to see the music business, you know, from 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 the uh, perspective of a commercial entity. And this is the 1970s and early 80s. And uh, and and I and I got. I love the music and, and the Bluegrass Alliance, by the way, was one of the, I wouldn't say it was the top band in the country, but it had, it was a, it was a uh, training ground for a lot of great musicians. Uh, Tony Rice, Sam Bush, uh, Vince Gill. I mean, the list of musicians that played in that band just go on and on. And I was very honored to be in the band and it really did springboard my career as a musician in a wonderful way. 
but still there was something always missing because I could I could never sing with anyone as well as I sing with my brother. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was like the brother harmony was something I really missed. And it wasn't until the 1990s that uh, we started singing together again. He moved back from California and we formed the band that you got to hear. And so that's been, uh, that's been really great. and brothers have been together since the when in the 90s? Well, um, in, in other words, we were together early, you know, from, say, the late 60s through the right. through the uh, through the 80s, you know, early 80s, uh, late 70s, around in there. And then we separated ways. And then my brother came back about mid mid 90s, about 
95, I think. Uh, and we did, uh, we did sort of a, I guess you call it a comeback album called My Rocky River Home. And uh, it was really well received. Got, uh, got a Grammy nomination, I believe. And, uh, and so, you know, it was really great to be playing music again. When I met you, it was just so clear. That was the first thing you kind of wanted to communicate to me uh, was how much um, your, your brother is an inspiration to you, how the, the value of his music and the art and what he's trying to impact with that, how that impacts you. And I think that was, it said a lot and I could really see, and I can tell just through talking to you, how much love you have for your brother. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what it is that you see in him and have always seen in him and uh, about his art? Well, he's, he's my big brother. There's that to start with. And, and he has had this, Early on, he had this natural talent. Um, he never worked at his instrument or his voice. He always just opened his mouth and sang beautifully. And and when he played guitar, he, he never played all that fancy, but he just, you know, kind of went to the right place. You know, it's just like when those guys were trying to figure out the chord, he had already decided he had it, you know, even though he wasn't moving around a lot, he kind of, he kind of had it. And I, I worked hard at music. I have all my life and still do every day uh, to learn new things, to, uh, to, to, to press the boundaries of what I know. And uh, I think one of the things that really always uh, inspired me about my brother and frustrated me too, is his natural ability to hear melody and and sing it with such grace and such beauty. And I, I think there is a spiritual component of his presence in music that is, is really profound. And that has to be inspiring. Um, I think he really sings from his heart and soul. And he has a he has a good message in, in the songs that he chooses to sing. So in, in that regard, I really admire him. But I also think that we're co- sort of a good foil for each other, uh, a yin and yang, so to speak, because I kind of bring a little bit of mischievous and, and humor into it, you know, in some of my songs. As I said there at one point, from the sublime to the ridiculous. And that keeps the show interesting. So. I think the best way to put it is that when when we were little, we played cowboys, you know, shoot them up, bang, bang, you know, you know, with the six guns and stuff. And we had little hats and stuff. I always wore the black hat and he always wore the white hat.
light, the swinging doors call me. And as I look past the crowded dance floor, I saw her at a table in the corner. I wanted to see her once more. An embrace we spoke. Very gently. Hello, and how have you been? Well, the whiskey couldn't burn me like the flame in her eyes, so I walked to the street once again. father wanted for you guys what was your dad's reaction um he goes off to get a a, a real degree and you take off to go live a a vagabond life (laughs) am i reading that at all Uh, oh oh, you're spot on you're you're a spot on girl uh yeah my brother was fulfilling the role i remember my father who, by the way, uh, he dropped out of high school to uh, go to be in the Army or the Air Force in World War II. Uh, So he really valued education. And he told us that if you get a PhD, you can sign your own ticket, which in those days was pretty much true. Now I think they give out PhDs in cereal boxes. But uh, anyway, (laughs) there I was leaving for Kentucky. I, I had an old Carmen Ghia, you know, uh, had my mandolin in, in the back seat and, and a little pillowcase full of clothes. And that was it. And I left out of there and I'm going to go be a musician. And so how did my father react? He took out a life insurance policy on me. <laughs> well. That's an interesting reaction. <laughs> did was he uh how did he respond? Was, apart from that, was he was he like, all right, were you the prodigal son at that point? Like you gotta, you know, I guess go sow your wild oats and you know, come back when you've come to your senses, or 
uh, were they, did they, you know, I mean, obviously they had to come around at some point. I, I, you know, the, I think, see, I didn't know about the life insurance policy till he died. Uh, You know, it it was like one of those artifacts that we found that he, he left uh, upon his passing. And and when I looked at that, I like, I just smiled, you know, because uh, he never gave me a cross word about my choices and decisions. You know, if anything, he was, uh, uh, I mean, he didn't encourage me to go play in these different bands, but he never, he never, he was never ill or bitter at me. I think he understood. I think he understood that I wanted to play music and not work in a mill. I mean, I can't think of anyone who would get that any better than him, who had been getting up at five o'clock in the morning to go, you know, do this, do, you know, this woodworking task all day long, even though he loved woodworking, uh, there's a great big world out there, but he had seen so many people go the wrong path with it. You know, Uh, there've been so many people from home that went out and, uh, and got into all kinds of trouble, uh, alcoholism, drugs, uh, you know, just not making enough money to get by and making wrong decisions. And, uh, and he, he knew there were a lot of pitfalls in the path that I chose. And, but at, on the same, at the same time, he trusted me to make the best out of it. So he, he was never, never judgmental in that regard. But I, but I think he was, uh, a lot closer to my brother during those years because uh, he he really supported my brother's path because he 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 was all about uh, safety, feathering the nest, being careful, you know. And I was I was out there throwing caution to the wind. talking about your relationship with your dad and how um, your brother and you kind of went in different paths and you followed your dream. Um, Do you feel like, do you think your brother was trying to kind of fulfill the wish and desire that your dad had for your lives versus taking off with you or was math his, his passion at that time? Oh, I, I definitely think he was fulfilling uh, a sense of duty, uh, a sense of what was expected of him. And uh, I, I think that ruled a lot of his decisions, even back as far as and, and as far as when he first got accepted to college. It was sort of like, you know, this is this is the way it is. You know, you you play music on the weekend for fun, and you uh, you have a 
have a job, make a decent salary, save your money, have insurance, you know, all those, all those things that, uh, <laughs> that you're supposed to have, right? You know, a mortgage, <laughs> a car payment, <laughs> a wife, kids. I mean, the, the, the whole thing is, that's life. That's, that's what most people do. Right. And I, I, I just dare to be different. How did you take that leap knowing, did you feel this sense of disappointment that you were going to disappoint your father? Or did you not have that sense because he was so kind? From as far back as my memory goes, I identify as a musician, you know, first and foremost. I, uh, um, the the great Charlie Parker, one of my heroes, they asked him one time uh, what his religion was. And he said, musician. (laughs) And, (laughs) and I, uh, and when I went to college, you know, I changed roommates and majors (laughs) almost every week. (laughs) It was really crazy. I, I, you you know, I, I had that sense of, of duty too, that I needed to find a way to make a living uh, and, and keep my music for the weekend. And I, I, I just couldn't imagine what that would be. Okay. There's, I like to write. So journalism, well, that didn't work out. Uh, You you know, I I just went, I I tried the, (laughs) oh gosh. I, I, I took a, course in advanced biology and that scared that scared my butt right on up to the English department <laughs> and uh and, and don't get me wrong I graduated from Carolina with highest honors my my diploma says highest honors from University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill uh, with a major in English literature and I wrote a thesis on James Joyce that is still in the graduate library if you ever get down there and want to look it up and get a nice nap there in the reading room, I recommend that. But as soon as I fulfilled my duty as, uh, you know, with that diploma, I've, I felt I was free now to do what my true purpose was. You know, inside of me, it resonated that I am a musician. I have always been a musician. I will always be a musician. And these other other ideas that I've had about doing other things just don't work for me. When I matriculated to Carolina and uh, I think I was 1971, that, that was my first stop was to the music department because I thought, well, the obvious thing for me to, would be a, to be a music major, right? And uh, so the first question was, do you read music? I lied and said yes, because I figured that's what they wanted to hear. But the truth of the matter is, is I didn't know one note from the other. Uh, and the second question was, what is your instrument? And I said, mandolin. And then he laughed and he said, no, your, your instrument. And I said, mandolin. And he said, no, it has to be one of the orchestra instruments. And, uh, I was like, you know, I can't really lie about that because I don't play any orchestra instruments. So they wouldn't let me be a music major. 
And so that's why I went to the journalism department. Funny story of about, I guess, 2018, after I received the North Carolina Heritage Award, I had a call from the big muckety mucks there at Carolina, and they offered me a position as adjunct professor of bluegrass mandolin at my old alma mater. And I said, my, my, how far we have come. <laughs> Did you take it? Well, I uh, I looked at the contract and I saw the salary and I said, I'm sorry, I can't take the cut and pay. <laughs> I said, aren't we missing a zero here? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, it's for the glory. You're doing this for the glory. <laughs> Exposure. Exposure. This is an excerpt of Tony performing at the 2018 North Carolina Heritage Award Ceremony. You mentioned earlier that you that you really got this this great mentorship. Do you do anything? Do you have any mentees? Well, you know, um, I've never really been a, a teacher, like a sit down and look at the page and put your fingers here kind of thing with with people. But when uh, when I was nominated for the North Carolina Heritage Award, um, they sent out a uh, a call for. Uh, and the theme that year was mentor. And they sent out a call for letters in support of my nomination. And I couldn't believe the wonderful letters that all these great musicians wrote uh, describing me as their mentor. It, it was really, you know, heartwarming because, and I think the, the, the way that, that I, I approach young people or, or really anyone who's interested in music is I invite them in, we sit, we play together. If, if they have a, a question or want to lead something in a certain direction, I, I, I have an outpouring of, of, of my experience. And, uh, and, and, you know, and then I let the, the person take it and do with it what they want. And, and I was really surprised at how many people were grateful for that type of mentorship. Because in bluegrass, it's, it's completely different style than of teaching and learning and education than I'd say any, well, it's like your knee to knee, your equal um, is what I've heard about the, the teaching styles. Like when I took classical guitar lessons, it very much was, you know, um, the teacher is here and I am here and, you know, everything is corrected. Um, you know, we're working on this one passage for this amount of time. And, uh, and I often wonder what it would have been like had I been introduced to bluegrass earlier and had gotten into it and then actually learned from people more through observation and um, like, it looks more like leadership or something or like engaging 
in a different way entirely than you do in a classical setting or, you know, in a classical education setting, if you will. Is that, has that been your experience? Is that kind of how you think about bluegrass education? It, it, it it's always been an oral tradition, you know, uh, old time music comes from the family and the community and the groupings of people through various uh, functions from, you know, when, when I was a kid, we, we played everywhere. We played in church. We played at the uh, corn shuckings. We played barn dances and, uh, and we played fiddlers conventions and we met other musicians and saw how they did things. And sometimes, you know, we would take an opportunity to ask, how did you, how did you do that? And, you know, some guys give happily and, you know, generously and other guys didn't. I mean, I've, I've known guys who would put, uh, you know, would be playing and put, put uh, hands over their fingers so you couldn't see where their fingers went. <laughs> I don't think they got any heritage awards. <laughs> but on the other hand, you had these guys who were like, oh, yeah, it's like this. This is the way I do it. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's, you know, that kind of is interesting. And it, it, and that sort of went on in my family with my kids. Uh, my son, for instance, was, was he, he's like my brother. He was like talented. He really had a natural sense of music that he didn't necessarily have to work at. And but when he was learning to play guitar, uh, he would ask me how to uh, do a chord. So I'd pick up the guitar and I'd say, well, you can do that chord with just these, these three fingers here. And he would come back later and he says, I found a way to do that chord down here and I'm using all four fingers. So there. And so when he asked me about another chord later on, I said, oh, it's down here and showed him this really complicated way to play it. And he came back and says, Dad, I can play that chord with two fingers. See? <laughs> that is how the kids are, isn't it? You just, everything you say is the opposite. I have three. I have three girls and everything. I, it doesn't matter. Like the less, the less input I give, my, my eldest is very talented a very talented vocalist and she can pick up anything very quickly and you know any encouragement i give her she just goes the opposite direction she's like she doesn't want to hear anything positive from me i'm too you know i'm too supportive so the less supportive i am yeah. the better the more into it she is it doesn't make any sense to me i would have <laughs> i would have appreciated that myself, but I want to, I want to hear more about the heritage award. Why don't you tell me about how that came to be? What, what your experience was getting it, all those things. Well, the, the North Carolina heritage award uh, goes back for 50 years in the state of North Carolina. Uh, I think that's right. I, I, uh, I think I was the 50th recipient uh, it's uh, people who contributed to North Carolina music, and some of the honor honorees include Earl Scruggs, uh, uh, Bobby Hicks, uh, Doc Watson, um, 
uh, George Shuffler. I mean, and then as well as uh, people from the other arts, you know, uh, uh, great pottery, great artists, uh, indigenous uh, storytellers. Uh, it's it's an it's an amazing program. I uh, I never even considered the fact that I would be considered for that honor. First of all, because I just didn't feel like I was old enough. <laughs> Ain't you that know? the way it's we like... find out? Isn't that how we find out? You're like a lifetime <laughs> achievement ward. I'm not. I'm not old enough for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I ain't dead yet. <laughs> so, so yeah. Uh, uh, and then I, I, I hear that I'm nominated and then all of a sudden there's these, this outpouring of support for me, uh, letters from, uh, from Chris Thiele, from Andrew Marlin, from, uh, all these, uh, really amazing musicians. And, and then it was announced that I was, uh, going to be the, 2018 recipient and the next thing was really cool is uh, uh they said i could ask whomever i wanted to perform with me that night and so i just got a carte blanche to uh choose my favorite band and uh i think some of it's online i think you can still find that concert it was it was one of the it was one of the greatest nights of my life. I had my brother and my son in the band. I had uh, two of uh, the, the fiddle players, the Ryrie girls, who were just fabulous, who uh, who also consider me a mentor. Uh, they were, uh, uh, and Don Wright, who, who you met with the banjo, the sexiest man of 1979. Um, uh, Noam Pakilney of the Punch Brothers was in the band, um, as well as uh, 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 Dick Knight, the trumpet player that used to play with James Brown. I mean, it, it was just an amazing night of music, and 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 I was just uh, really, I really had so much fun. It, it was more like you know, I've I actually have been in support of when Bobby Hicks got the Heritage Award. He asked me to be in his band, and uh, and he was very emotional. You know, which which I, I completely get. I mean, it was it was overwhelming for him. Uh, for me, it was just incredible amount of fun. I just it was like the great celebration. And it also really felt like that, you know, where a lot of people see it as a lifetime achievement, which it is. Um, and a lot of people see it like a gateway to retirement. But I sort of saw it like. The, the first step in a completely new direction you know completely new music put out write more music play more music surround myself with these amazing musicians the sky's the limit oh yeah you just got all this awesome press why would you why would you fade out on that you should definitely use that as your next launching point that's that's just um yeah that's common sense to me i definitely wouldn't end it there you should always, always keep striving. And that's why music is so awesome. I loved, I loved when you said that, uh, it comes from, it, it's like out here, it's in the universe and it's coming through us. And you're basically a receiver or an antenna for, for yeah. that, which exists already. Mozart described that 
he described um, these floods almost to the point that I believe for him it was overwhelming and and disruptive. He had to get it out anytime like and he would you know physically write out the music which to me is I you know like uh that's a crazy skill to be able to hear something in your head and then put it in into notation that's you know hearing it in your head and putting it on an instrument like I can go from head to voice to instrument to writing but like head to writing that's (laughs) insane uh, Prince used to say that uh, if he got an idea for a song, he would record it in the middle of the night. So Michael Jackson wouldn't record it before him. And I, I really, um, <laughs> really. And I spoke with a physicist from uh, UC Berkeley recently who does all this really interesting work in um, quantum physics and uh, and she writes all of these really interesting books, but I asked her that very question. She, they, they have these devices that'll make, that'll have plants consciously create music. It's insane. But I asked her that same question, like, is, is music something that you believe just exists and we're, you know, some people are, are antennas for that. And she was like, yeah, it's the same across, you know, in science, there's ideas that come up you know, come through to everyone and in unrelated fields at the same time. And I believe music really is something that it, that just exists and is filtered in or, you know, um, we're transmitting. And so thank you for, for being a transmitter for, for um, many, many generations and for so many people um, I'm very honored to have met you and I really appreciate your time in this interview today. Uh, thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much. And uh, I, uh, I don't know if you have any of my music, but uh, after I received the Heritage Award, I did an album called Heritage and it covers 50 years of my career from that first recording that my brother and I did to the most recent recording so i've got it on cd and if you'll send me a an address i'll send you a copy oh i definitely will is there anything else that you would like to share about your life that you feel like we didn't really touch on or that uh is important to you well i i I would like to say that it's just been wonderful to meet you i thought you just did a beautiful job of our introduction at the uh at the traditional stage at Merle Fest and getting to know you in this last hour has been really swell as well. And I'd love to hear you play some music sometime and, uh, and maybe we could get together and jam some. Okay. I would, I would be so honored. I would love to. I'd like to thank Tony for being such a generous guest. Appalachian vibes is listener nominated. You can nominate an artist at AppalachianVibes.net. Everyone have a beautiful week. I'll see y'all next week on Saturday morning at 6 a.m. for another episode of Appalachian Vibes from WNCW.